What's poppin' people? Welcome back to Sunday School. Sunday School is a show where we read through the Bible, we try to understand what God's Word means and how we can apply it to our lives. We've been reading through the book of Romans and we're on chapter 7 right now. Chapter 7 is primarily about the law. Many Christians believe that we have to follow the law in order to get into heaven. But true Christians who actually read the Bible know that that's not true. And as we've read through the book of Romans, we've learned that all we need to do is believe in Jesus. The Bible teaches what is known as faith alone salvation, or sola fide if you're a Latin speaker. If we believe in Jesus, even though we might totally disobey the law and we might be a total failure in the eyes of God, just simply believing in Jesus will be enough to have all of our sins, all of our failings wiped away, and God will accept us as his son and accept us into his kingdom. But people throughout time, even since the beginning of Christianity, when Paul's living, have hated this doctrine. They've been deeply offended by this concept that even sinners, even murderers, even horrible people can go to heaven if they just believe in Jesus. And so they try to find all kinds of ways around this belief to make it a requirement that you have to keep the law. Right, and obviously this comes out of pride. It's basically people who just want to feel better than others and assert themselves, put others down. And there's many ways that people will come at this to offer an alternative for faith alone. So some people like the Eastern Orthodox, they're going to tell you that Jesus is the one getting us to heaven, but we need to please Jesus in order to get us to heaven. So we need to obey his commandments. And then if we obey his commandments, then Jesus will die for us and sacrifice himself for us. And then we'll go to heaven. There are others like Cleveland street preachers who are going to tell you that Jesus died for your sins, but if you sin after you get saved, you lose your salvation and then you have to ask for forgiveness. But a third way that's actually really growing in prevalency in the past couple of decades has been the teachings of Bryson Gray. Now, obviously Bryson Gray hasn't originated these teachings. He's just one of the most popular people talking about this stuff. Bryson Gray doesn't even believe Jesus died for you. He doesn't even believe in penal substitutionary atonement. Instead, he believes that the only way that we can get to heaven is we need to keep the law. So we need to keep the Sabbath. We need to do this and that. And one of the main verses that he'll pull up is from Matthew chapter 5. And he'll say that this verse supports his point. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will pass away from the law until all shall be fulfilled. So he'll read that and then he'll say, has heaven and earth passed away? And obviously the answer is no, the world's still here. So Bryson will say, therefore the law has not passed away and we're still under it. But the fact is the Bible never teaches that the law has passed away and I don't believe that the law has passed away. Everyone that is alive today is still under the law and they're going to be held accountable to the law. What the Bible says is not that the law has passed away, but that 
I have passed away. Wherefore, my brethren, you are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him that is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. See, I've been married to Jesus. Not literally, it's not like I'm having gay sex with Jesus. It's a metaphor. Me and Jesus have traded places. This is what the Bible teaches. In God's eyes, I died. I literally died in 33 AD. And I was crucified to a cross and punished for my sins. Sent to hell. But... As you guys can see very clearly, I'm alive today, right? I'm not dead. That's because rather than me dying, it was actually Jesus that died. Rather than me going to hell, it was Jesus that went into hell for those three days and then rose again. But what's happened is that we've traded places. So when I stand before God, when I'm up in the heavenly court in the great throne, God will look at my record of my life and say, we can't send this guy to hell. He already won. And that's what the Bible teaches. So it's not that I'm not being held accountable to the law, but instead that I've already been held accountable to the law and I've already been punished and I am now dead. And a dead person cannot sin. So from this point forward, since I've become a believer until now and into the future, so long as I continue to believe, I will not be held accountable for my shortcomings, for my failures, because in God's eyes, I am already punished. I am, I am dead. I have already gone to hell. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Many people just can't get it through their head that Christians are no longer held accountable to the standards of the law. And so it'll make all sorts of accusations towards us that actually believe the Bible. And they'll say, so what are you saying? That God just commanded us to do something for no reason? And I guess it's a good question. It's kind of logical. It's just stupid. But I mean, it does say in the Bible, if you kill someone, you go to hell. If you lie, you go to hell. So was God lying? Was God sinning? Was, was the law itself sinful or something like that? Is it wrong? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shall not covet. The law's purpose is not to redeem us. The purpose of the Ten Commandments, thou shall not kill, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not bear false witness, thou shall not covet, thou shall not steal, thou shall obey your father and mother. The purpose of these commandments is not to get us to heaven. The purpose of these commandments is to make us aware of sin, aware of right and wrong. The law is not something that you can attach yourself onto after living a life of horrendous sins 
total debauchery and say, okay, well now I'm going to go to heaven because I turned my life around. And why is that? Because the law never says that's its purpose. It never says in the law that you can sin and sin your whole life and then towards the end of your life or the middle of your life or even towards the beginning of your life after sinning that whole time can just stop and start following the law and it'll be okay. Once you sin, you are always a sinner. If I can open this up to James real quick. Whoever will keep the whole law but offend in one point He's guilty of it all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, you don't cheat on your wife, but you kill someone, you are a sinner. You are a transgressor to law. You're going to go to hell. So because the law condemns us, does that mean the law is bad? That it's evil? No. A way that I've heard it put and a way that is truthful to what the text is saying is that the law is like an x-ray machine or maybe an MRI or something like that. One of these scans doctors do when you're sick. Right, when I was 10 years old, I got in a car crash. I got in this major car crash. Me and my dad, we were making a left to turn into a gas station. And this guy in a brand new car that was like some Lamborghini or some crazy sports car, right? Slammed into us going like 70 miles per hour. His whole car was destroyed. My truck, our big steel truck was like bent up. The bed of the truck was like... All the windows were cracked or smashed, but somehow, some way, we survived. So after we got out of the truck, we had to wait for almost an hour for the ambulance and fire department and all that to show up. And I was feeling totally fine, but I was hauled off by the ambulance anyways to go to the hospital along with the uh, guy who uh, hit us. And so I go to the hospital and they make me do an MRI, they make me do an x-ray. And it turns out there's nothing wrong with me, right? But my dad, he didn't think there was anything wrong with him either. But when he got an MRI and an x-ray, he found out that his back was busted up in like a million different places. He had all these different fractures on his back where he got the brunt of this collision. And he didn't even know, right? So there can be something wrong with you that you're not aware of until it is shown to you that it's a problem. I have a friend of mine, and I, I don't want to get into their whole you know story or whatever because it would be rude, but they grew up in what I would consider to be an abusive, neglectful household. But for their whole life, you know, they never would have considered their living situation as a child to be abusive. But one day I was talking to them and I said that, oh, I had to go eat dinner with my family. And they realized from me saying that, that they've never eaten dinner with their family. And that led them to ultimately come to the realization that their parents never really cared about them or took any investment in their life. And they just kind of left them to fend on their own since they were a child. Wouldn't even cook meals for them or anything like that. But if you don't become aware of it, if you don't have someone show you the truth, if you don't get the x-ray, you're not going to know there's something wrong with you. You're not going to know you have a broken bone. You're not going to know that there's something abnormal. So the purpose of the law of the Ten Commandments is not to get you to heaven by making you follow them 
but it's to make you aware of morality, right from wrong, and make you aware that if you do evil things, that God's going to send you to hell. Now, it doesn't mean that people who don't have the law weren't doing something wrong. The fact is there's always a problem. There was always a problem with your lifestyle, always a problem with the way you're living. The purpose of the law, just like the purpose of the x-ray, is to reveal the problem to you. But the fact is, just simply getting an x-ray of your broken leg or your broken back or your broken home or your sinful life, it's not going to change the problem. An x-ray cannot heal you. An MRI cannot heal you. Once you get the MRI, once you get the x-ray that shows you the problem, now you have to go through treatment to fix the problem. So in the case of sin, in the case of the law, in the case of Jesus, sin is the problem. Now, without the law, you can be aware of sin. It's possible, right? If your leg's really hurting and you can't walk on it, you know your leg's broken. But you might have other problems that you're not aware of. The law is an x-ray that shows you what your problems are. And the problem is sin. And it shows you you're going to hell. But once you get the x-ray, once you become aware of the Ten Commandments, it doesn't stop there. Now, you have to get the treatment to get rid of your sin. And the treatment is not the x-ray. The treatment is not the Ten Commandments. The treatment that gets rid of your sin is Jesus. Right? Paul would not have known sin without the law. He wouldn't have known that lusting after a woman was wrong. Right? Imagining a woman naked is wrong. Right? And like many people deny that lusting is wrong. But Paul discovered it was wrong because he read the law, he read the Ten Commandments, and the final commandment of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not covet. And covet means that you want something that's not yours. It's kind of like jealousy. And so Paul, using rationality and reasoning from reading the law, thou shall not covet, realized that my friend's wife is not my wife. To imagine her sexually and to, ima- and to want her is therefore covetous because it's his wife and not mine, right? It's not sinful to have lust for your own wife that you're married to, but it's sinful to have lust for someone who's not your wife. And so that's a sin. But Paul didn't come to the realization that lust was wrong until he read the final commandment of the Ten Commandments, thou shall not covet. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence for without the law sin was dead that word concupiscence is a word that we don't really use anymore but it's basically the equivalent that modern internet users would use today is like being a coomer someone who is concupiscent who has concupiscence is addicted to lust, is constantly having sexual desires that are not right and that are even disturbing and sick. And so Paul was taken over by sin and became a coomer. That's what he says here. But without the law, sin was dead. 
right? If you're not aware something is evil, you're not going to be held accountable for it. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Was that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that the sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Right, so God's not going to hold you accountable if you do something evil and you're not aware of it. But what you are doing is still wrong, even if you don't know it's wrong. It's still going to negatively affect the people around you. It's still going to negatively affect you and drive you to total depression, total death. But you're not going to go to hell for it because you don't know it's wrong. But the law, which is God's holy x-ray that exposes a problem within you so that you can fix the problem, exposed to Paul that he was a coomer and that he was in sin. The law did not make him sin. He was already sinning before the law came, but he was not aware that he was sinning. The law made him aware of this sin so that he could stop, so that he could get the treatment to be cured. The law is not evil because it condemns us to hell. We are the ones that are evil because we are doing the sins, committing the sins, which the law forbids. The law is simply just doing its job. Is the policeman evil because he throws you in jail for raping someone? The answer is no. He's just doing his job. His job is to stop evildoers and condemn them for vengeance. Bring vengeance upon evildoers on behalf of the victims. The same thing with the law. The law, its purpose is to condemn you to hell. But it's not evil. It's just that's its job. The law is not sufficient to get you to heaven. The law shows you the problem. Then Jesus, the doctor, fixes the problem. He administers his treatment. The treatment is that Jesus has to sacrifice himself and atone for your sins. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. Right, that's a state of most people, most humans alive, is that they find that they're incapable of change. And that's ultimately what this whole law-based salvation, faith plus works thing, that's all you're going to get, is you're going to get this constant struggle trying to change your life, being unable to change your life, and ultimately going to hell because you're enslaved to your sin. You got to be set free. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. When we come to the knowledge that our sins are bad, we acknowledge the law is good. And therefore, we're going to be held accountable for what we're doing. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin 
that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not, but the evil that I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present in me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me in captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. What Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, the inner man and the outer man, the animalistic part of us and the higher part of us. See, our flesh, it lusts, and it's an uncontrollable lust that we have. My body lusts to consume food. It's not evil for doing that. The flesh is not inherently bad for doing that, but it has the lust to consume food so that you don't starve to death. We have the lust to avoid hardship because, you know, hardship can cause you injury. We have the lust to have sex so that we can procreate and follow God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply. None of these lusts are inherently evil. They're the natural functions of the flesh. But the problem comes with the fact that our flesh and the desires of the flesh can be fulfilled in unhealthy, immoral ways. While the lust to have sex is intended for you to get married and have children, you can also fulfill that lust by raping a woman or by watching pornography. You can fulfill your lust for food by, you know, eating some beef jerky and drinking water, or you can fulfill it by drinking a big gulp and five double quarter pounders. If the flesh is allowed to just go on and follow whatever desires it wants, Ultimately, all the desires of the flesh combined, the desire for sex, the desire for food, the desire for wealth, the desire to not have hardship, will all work together to turn you into a degenerate. Mainly, it's laziness combined with something else. In the case of pornography, it is laziness that you want to avoid hardship you want to avoid getting your heart broken you want to avoid you know actually having to commit to a woman and take care of children combined with your lust for sex that leads you to watch pornography so god has put in our body a secondary part of us the spirit the soul the higher self the inner man and the inner man our spirit it has its own lusts, and its lusts are contrary to the flesh's, the body's wants. Your body wants to have endless sex, eat endless amounts of food, lay around, do nothing. Your spirit lusts to lift heavy weights and become strong. Your spirit lusts to do great art. Your spirit lusts to be a good person. But the fact is that most of us are conditioned by society, and even back in Paul's time it was this way, but it's even worse today. We are conditioned by society to indulge 
in the lusts of the flesh, which will ultimately lead to our ruination. And the fact is that our personalities, us, we, are the products of our past experiences. We are products of society. And so if you've spent your whole life being taught to indulge in sin, being taught to do drugs, being taught to just eat and eat and eat and eat, taught to watch porn, taught to lust, if that's what society has taught you for your whole life, you will never be able to overcome the lusts of your flesh. You might be able to cut back a little bit, but you're never going to be able to overcome it. And that's what happened to me, right? Due to people sinning against me, which conditioned me, I was molested at like nine or eight. And then the conditioning of society, you know, constantly seeing it on TV, people fornicating, being taught that it's good to fornicate and that that's like what a chad does they go around fornicating having sex with millions of women having like a high huge body count even being told by my father that i should go sleep with tons of women and being exposed to softcore pornography on pretty much the tv everywhere all over the internet all over instagram that ultimately worked to turn me into a total degenerate and even into a homosexual transsexual and i found myself in the same position as paul i guess paul maybe not have been as bad as me i acknowledged what i was doing was wrong because i had an awareness of the law right i was raised catholic and i was taught the ten commandments so i knew what i was doing was wrong but even though i knew what i was doing was wrong because i have conditioned myself and society has conditioned me into following the same path The fact is you cannot overcome that, not by natural means. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I found myself pretty much saying that same thing to God. Before I became a believer, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I had an awareness that God didn't like what I was doing. And I would pray to God, oh, please deliver me from this. Please make me stop. Please kill me. And I even tried to kill myself, you know. And the fact is that none of these things that I attempted to try and solve my problems ever solve my problems. Not even trying to kill myself solve my problems. But ultimately, my problems were solved. I'm no longer a homosexual. I'm no longer doing these evil, sick, perverted things. But what happened? You don't see gay people just quitting being gay normally. Not even Milo Yiannopoulos could quit being gay. and He converted to Catholicism. What changed for me? What allowed me to overcome that? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. See, the fact is that it wasn't me saving myself. But I believed in Jesus when I heard that Jesus died for me and that I didn't have to keep struggling to fight against this sin in order to go to heaven, but instead that Jesus would let me go into heaven as evil as I am. That I didn't have to serve the law of God with my body and change the way I acted, but that I could just simply serve it with my mind. And my flesh could still be evil and I could still be doing evil. And when I came to that realization, 
that I didn't have to change, but that Jesus did everything for me, then suddenly I found the ability to change. And I know that sounds crazy. It doesn't make sense. But somehow, through the removal of condemnation, through the removal of this death sentence, this sentence to hell, through Jesus going to hell for me so I wouldn't have to go to hell, I found within myself the ability to change. Something that I was totally incapable of doing this whole time, even though I knew about God, I knew sinners went to hell, and I knew that what I was doing was a sin, I still could not find the strength to overcome these things. And I know that for everyone who is not saved, who does not believe in the gospel, that is the situation they find themselves in. I know so many Catholics, so many people who find themselves constantly living in sin, constantly falling into more and more degenerate paths and they can't do anything other than just beg God for forgiveness over and over again but it's not going to avail them anything but when I believed in Jesus within like a week I just was able to drop homosexuality I was just able to drop all this nonsense and give it up the message of the gospel is a deep and beautiful message. Instead of us sacrificing our way to God, God sacrifices his way to us. Rather than us climbing up the steps to meet God, God climbs down to meet us where we are. Instead of us changing for God, God changes us. And that is the solution to sin. The solution to sin is not to follow the law. The solution to sin is to not beg for forgiveness over and over again. Go to a priest and confess your sins. The solution to sin is God. The solution to sin is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. That is what will cure you. That is what will change you. That is what will make you born again.